This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Our second reading is Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. The message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are, who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters, Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and developed in the world. Things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are. So no one might might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Jesus Christ, who who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. Holy wisdom, holy word. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Always good to be with you, folks. Grace, peace, and joy to each of you this day through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. So um, my sister, I have a sister who's 15 months younger. We decided when both of us reached a very crucial age, you can name whatever age that is, we decided that we were going to go on sister trips every summer. And we have been doing that now for 10 years. Don't count up the years about how many. So last summer, we continued on that exploration adventure trip, and we wound up in Canada. And we actually were at the Athabasca Glacier. We visited the Columbia uh, ice fields. Um, and we were on a trek for facts about climate change. And um, I can show you pictures. Uh, but the other thing that we did, which was really quite marvelous, is we wound up going to a number of the national parks, Jasper and Banff, in, um, in central and western Canada. And we also took a train uh, from Banff National Park all the way across the western half of Canada. And we happened to meet a number of really wonderful people along the way. I happen to be a, um, a person who likes to visit with people, my sister less so, so I was always embarrassing her. Um, but uh, we happened to be, we, uh, be on the train, one of the trains, and we ran into uh, folks who are what are it's called mushers. Um, now, my sister is a huge animal fan. She raises horses, and she has dogs and cats and probably all kinds of other things. So meeting these mushers was really a, a, a gift for her. And it, many of you know probably that mushers are people who travel um, by dog sled over really snowy, icy, frozen terrain. Um, and it was great to get to know them and to learn about the love that they have for their dogs. That really kind of made my sister feel good about things. But that they, we found out a saying that mushers have. They say, if you're not the lead dog, the scenery never changes. Think about it. If you're not the lead dog, the scenery never changes. That musher saying, I, I think, has become almost a centerpiece of leadership uh, doctrine uh, that, and material that's, that's uh, propagated in certain circles around what the focus needs to be in leadership. Some of the most prolific literature that's available to all of us um, claims that if you're not the top dog, um, no matter how far you travel on your journey, it's just going to be a tale of tales. <laughs> Striving to be top dog is the goal we're encouraged, I think, to achieve from, from early on in our lives, right? Maybe even in our childhood, through our vocational development, too. No one wants to be underdog, although um, there was a cartoon that was really popular in the 60s and 70s, uh, Underdog, yeah, who was always fighting for those who were disenfranchised. 
there is no need to fear, underdog is here. Remember? Um, but being on top means getting the best grades in school, best opportunities, best treatment, best salary, maybe even the best office, the one with the windows, not an interior office. The best seats in the house, the best table when we go to restaurants, the best of everything. Um, everywhere you go. Who could not see the advantages about being at the top and not at the bottom? Back in the end of the 19th century, there was a vision scientist um, and also psychologist by the name of George Stratton. And what George Stratton did was created a pair of glasses that were functioning to turn the world upside down. So actually, he turned the world right side up because our eyes project an image to our brains that's naturally upside down. Is this true, Tammy? Yeah, I had to get verification from our scientist over here. Um, <laughs> our brains take an image and invert it, giving us our right side up perception of the world. So Stratton strapped on these goggles. And what he did as part of his experiment is he just blundered around and, and knocked into things for several days. And then in this new upside, upside down world that he was a part of, his brain was seeing liquids poured up. He saw himself walking on ceilings everything that he viewed was completely inverted from what was going on in the world, but only for a few days. So our eyes are our cameras, but the pictures that we take with our eyes are developed by our brains. After a few days, um, Stratton recorded that his most powerful visual organ, his brain, had figured out something was wrong. And after a few days, his brain reinverted the images it was receiving, and the world no longer looked upside down. Isn't that a miracle? So his brain completely flipped the images and presented him with a right-side-up world once again. And this is key. The process took three days. It took the brain three days to do a double flip and restore the world back to what it was really like. So um, eventually, you know, Stratton didn't want to wear those goggles all the time, so he, he ditched them, and he tried to look out at the world again, and again, everything was turned upside down. Um, his brain had, had trained itself to perceive the visual world differently, and it took another three days without the goggles. So bra uh, Stratton's brain once again figured out how to flip its visual messages. Three days and the human brain figures it out and heals itself. God, God is wonderful. So, if you find your world turned upside down, if you think so much is being inverted endlessly in your world and in the culture that's surrounding us politically, socially, ecclesiastically, consider the three days it takes to change that perception. Three days, what does that mean? <laughs> I like to say to students at Trinity, I teach primarily um, around leadership, pastoral care and counseling areas, a little bit of other things too. But I always say to students in the senior leadership class, always vet your leadership approach so that it's consistent with what you believe in your theology. 
And when I work with congregations, I'm working with a congregation in Minnesota right now as a consultant, I also say to them over and over again, think in threes, think in threes, think in threes, in a variety of different ways. So I invite you to think in threes today, too. There's no top. There's no bottom. There's only the way we choose to process our experiences of this world. You can't just believe what you see operating out of also what you believe is the game changer. God does tell us which way is up and which way is down, which way is to the top and which way is to the bottom, and when the way to the bottom may actually be the way to the top. Yeah, that's what this Corinthians text is all about. And Paul doesn't pull any punches, really. He doesn't try to sugarcoat what happened as a result of the cross. He boldly declares that the centerpiece of Christian faith, the crucifixion of Jesus the Christ, is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. The one who came to save couldn't save himself. The incarnated Jesus, the incarnated Christ, became just another incarcerated Roman casualty. The one who was most precious to the creator of all this world was sacrificed for the sake of all of us and the whole creation. This is an upside-down reality. This is a worldview that's just crazy topsy-turvy, right? It's a flip faith. That's the gospel of Jesus. That's why if the story of Jesus is not startling us, making us want to strap on seatbelts and put on a helmet because we're being tossed about, as Annie Dillard said, then we're not listening to the story. If the story of Jesus is not reversing our categories and making us do flip-flops in our faith and somersaults in our suppositions, then we're not reading it right. Jesus' death turned the world upside down. His raising up on the cross made weakness, vulnerability, openness, fear, anxiety, made it a strength. His love made the heat of hatred a cold shower. His death wasn't futile. His death was fertile, giving life and a a life to come to all of us, to all of creation. The downheartening is the uplifting. The upside is the downside, and the downside is the upside. Oh, it's crazy. But an important thing for us all to remember each and every week of every year of our life and faith. So, you know, the legal authorities in Rome thought that lifting Jesus up on the cross lowered him as an example demonstrating how much power Roman law had. But instead, Jesus lifted up on the cross, became a completely new, upside-down symbol of the power of love over the power of power. Jesus' triumph over tragedy was the inversion of top to bottom, the inversion of strength and servanthood, the inversion of the all-powerful and the all-loving. You know, there's a lot of processed um, living in the church and not enough possessed living in the church, I think. But possessed living is what it means to raise up Christ, to lift up Jesus. doesn't mean to be a processed church, mean to trust the process instead, but be, to be a possessed church that trusts, trusts in the work of the Holy Spirit always. 
It seems that our challenges in our world in the past weeks, months, even years, have made us more aware that complacency is not living a gospel life. We must be, we get to be a church that lifts up Christ entirely possessed by the Holy Spirit. I think that's what the world, uh, what, what the Spirit does. The old world is made new <clears throat> through disciples like you and me that can turn the world upside down. Even the book of Acts verifies that too. I just returned on Thursday from two weeks that I spent in the United Kingdom, primarily in London, but I also traveled up to the north part of, of England to spend some time with some people. And I traveled by rail around, and the tube, of course, and I, I had an opportunity to um, spend some time with a former fieldwork student of mine. When I served a parish in Oklahoma, I had a number of fieldwork students and interns that worked with me, and this was a person, Pastor Mark, 14 years ago who had spent six months with us um, in Stillwater. Um, he has introduced a ministry in Yorkshire, in, actually in Leeds, um, which he calls the God Squad. Um, he's created a motorcycle bikers club that offers a Christian presence with groups like Hells Angels. It's true. <laughs> now, if you know the story or have ever seen The Sons of Anarchy on Netflix, these are the groups that, that he is working with and through. And he said to me, I think this is so wise um, to hear, something I'll share with many in these coming weeks, he said to me, you know, people ask me, what's a Lutheran pastor doing spending time with violent motorcycle gangs? To which I always say, what on earth is a pastor doing just hanging out on a Sundays in a church? That's the kind of spirit that's happening in England and the kind of spirit that we have going on in the church in this country, too. It's because we have a topsy-turvy gospel where we can trust God to strengthen us to live our beliefs wherever it is that we're called, wherever it is. I've been captivated as I've read portions of this bestseller book, Hillbilly Elegy. Some of you probably have read it, and the author's been on a lot of talk shows as well. And I understand from reading that book that a common phrase in Appalachian culture is this, I'll be there, God, Lord willing, Jesus tarrying, creek don't rise, Moses not prohibiting, with some additional clauses added, and depending on the, the spirit of the person saying it, right? So, you know, the truth is that we don't know when the creek will rise, but it will, and it does, and it has. The creek always rises, preventing us from doing what we planned or going where we would like. And a new meaning to the phrase, and the creek don't rise, comes with changes. A lot of things that are happening in our country, in our church now, like immigration, like refugee access, like health care options, like deaths of significant people in our lives, not to mention avalanches and natural disasters abounding, and not to mention the wonderful things about additions to our family that are impending. There's changes. No one can guarantee that this week is going to be just like last week. No one can guarantee that this, will be, that this will not be the last week of our lives. The gift of Jesus is that God offers us the presence and the strength to stand with changes for good. That which has been a tragedy can be a mark for our going forth and living into the promise that we've been given of grace and love and hope. 
God, uh, Jesus' gift of new life has freed us to experience everyday redemptions. And one of those redemptions is seeing every day as a gift, and a gift to be cherished, and also not left on the shelf to await its expiration date. There's one thing that's true of life in addition to taxes, I think, um, and that is life isn't fair. fair. And fairness cuts both ways. I was born to loving parents. I could have been born to another kind of family. I was born in the United States rather than some other part of the world. There's nothing fair in any of that. But every one of us has at least one area of our life where we must learn how to make bricks with straw. Most of us have multiple areas of brick making from straw mucking. This topsy-turvy gospel of ours says that where fairness is least, faithful people step up. That's why we can enjoy every moment as a gift and challenge from God. That's why you and I can trust going forward into this adventure in life knowing we are beloved and believed in. And we are so thankful for this topsy-turvy gospel of ours. Amen.